I am a Christian. I am a Christian. Those were the only words that a young man named Sanctus uttered repeatedly while being questioned and tortured for his faith under the Marcus Aurelius persecution of the early church. That was about 177 AD. Instead of giving his name, his city of residence, uh, his race, or, or any other question they posed to him, he simply answered, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. And, and by saying that, he was in fact giving his name, giving his country, giving his family, his profession, and everything else that they may ask of him is encapsulated in those, terms, in those few words, I am a Christian. So the question is, who is a Christian? Well, I suppose it depends on who you ask today. Uh, you may get different answers. For some, it is uh, a Christian are those who have ticked the little box in the census forms. Uh, others may say that they are Christians who go to church on a Sunday or who holds to certain moral values or maybe even political uh, defense of certain uh, moral values. Others would say they are Christian because they uh, believe in, in Christ. Uh, all of those, to some degree, fail to accurately describe who a Christian is. A Christian is someone who believes in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. A Christian is someone who belongs to Christ. A Christian is someone who lives for Christ, who follows Christ, His will and His ways. And in the early church, uh, believers were called followers of the way. Uh, we see that in Acts, uh, Paul was, was persecuting those who belonged to the way in Acts 9, or sorry, Acts 16.4. Uh, and then also, uh, the, that is how, uh, how Christians have been described in Acts numerous times of those who belong to the way. It was only about 10 to 15 years after Pentecost when Christians were for the first time called Christian. And would you believe it? By unbelief. Unbelievers who first meant it to be a derogative term for those who follow a crucified criminal soon became a badge of honor among Christians. And it is notable that it is the unbelievers who gave them this name based on what they observe. And they observe that there is something different to these people. That they, uh, their devotion, their dedication, their deference to Jesus Christ, reflected in the way they live, in their character, in their actions. They followed Christ's will and His ways. Another Christian, Ignatius, a pastor from Antioch, he was a disciple of the Apostle of John. He wrote, It is not that I merely be called a Christian, but to actually be one. Yes, if I prove to be one by being faithful to the end, then I can have the name. Come fire, come battling, come, so come fire, cross, battling with wild beasts, wrenching of bones, mangling of limbs, crushing of my whole body, cruel tortures of the devil. Only let me get to Jesus Christ. Who is a Christian? A Christian is a follower of Christ. A Christian is a disciple of Christ. Now, we are in Matthew, Matthew 10, and, and verse 24 to 31 would be our text, so you can turn there for now. But just in the passage before that, we, we read that Jesus was ministering to those in Israel, and He saw the people being dispirited uh, and, and dis distressed like sheep without a shepherd. And then He prayed that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into the harvest. Uh, he acted upon that prayer by summoning His twelve disciples and sanctioned them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we've learned 
from that passage that, that a God-glorifying ministry is one that is being directed by Christ, dominant by Christ, dependent on Christ, and driven by Christ. Uh, we've also learned that such a ministry that is being sent by, by Jesus would, is, is to send lambs or sheep among the wolves. And as such, there will be problems and perils, there will be prejudice and persecution, but that we are to persevere with prudence. And now starting today, the last portion of, of, of chapter 10 really gives us some traits, some, some trademarks, some hallmarks of what a disciple of Jesus is like. Um, a disciple of Jesus follows Christ. A disciple confesses Christ and a disciple serves Christ. And we will look at each of these over the next uh, three weeks. But let us read verse 24 to 31. A disciple who follows Christ. Verse 24 reads, A disciple is not he above his master, nor a slave above his... Sorry, not a... Let me start over again. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nothing uh, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light, and what you heard whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Let me read up to there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and I pray, Lord, that you minister to us by your word. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to apply your word to our hearts. Lord, implant it deep into our souls. Lord, enlighten our eyes to understand Lord, excite our will to obey. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so firstly, a disciple is someone who follows Christ faithfully. And then we'll look at a, a, a disciple is someone who follows Christ fearlessly. So first of all, faithfully. A disciple is not above his teacher nor above his master. And, and there are many ways in which Christians can be described or are described in, in the Bible. Uh, how we relate the relationship that we have between a disciple uh, and, and the Lord. Sometimes we are des described as sheep and, and he is our shepherd. And in John 10, we read that he is the good shepherd who calls his sheep by name and they hear his voice and follow him. And he laid down his life for his sheep. We, we sometimes describe as uh, being a bridegroom and, and his bride, a bride betrothed to, to him, being washed and made blameless, ready for his return, as we read in, in John 3 and Matthew 25 and Ephesians 5. Sometimes it's described as, as being uh, Jesus being the vine and we are the branches, that we are to abide in him, and as we do, then we will bear much fruit. For the glory of the Father. Uh, those are all pictures of our relationship with, with Christ. But this morning, uh, Jesus mentioned two more. He, he refers to the relationship between a disciple and a teacher and between a slave and his master. And so a disciple, let's first look at that, this disciple-teacher relationship. A disciple is by definition a student, a pupil, a learner. Um, and not in the sense of just going to class or maybe distance learning. Uh, those methods of teaching really focus on imparting knowledge primarily. I think discipleship would be better described or seen as an apprenticeship, where you learn by receiving verbal instruction, but also see and imitate the life of your teacher. 
And therefore, discipleship requires the presence of both the teacher and the pupil, the disciple. Um, in Jesus' day, disciples would choose who, who or which uh, teacher they would follow, and they would follow him and his principles. Um, and when the teacher passes away or the student surpasses their teacher in knowledge, then they will choose to follow another teacher or they may become a teacher in their own right. But in the Gospels, um, the term disciple is almost exclusively used uh, to describe those who believed uh, in Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we do read in the Gospels that John... Uh, the apostle, so rather, John the Baptist also had some disciples, but uh, in, for the most part, the word disciple is used to describe those who have uh, believed in Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to note that it was Jesus who chose and called his disciples to follow him, not the other way around. Um, and so they were kind of called to follow his teaching and to imitate his life, to listen to his word. To learn his ways and then to follow his word and to practice his ways. Also, the slave master relationship is, is an apt description of the Christian relationship to Christ. Uh, of course, drawn from the world of slavery, that relationship between a slave and a master. And the, the slave master really had absolute authority over a slave, he could use a slave as he wished, treat a slave as he liked, dispose of a slave as he wished. He was the absolute master over them. And the slave, of course, was totally dependent on his master for their provision and protection. And it was expected of the slave to be totally devoted to his or her master. Now, the description, as I said, of a Christian as a slave, a slave to Christ, is, a, is actually a very prominent one in, in Scripture, but a very neglected one. Um, unfortunately, our English translations have often translated the word, Greek word doulos, which means slave, as a servant. Uh, of course, there are ample of other Greek words that describe servants, but doulos is the exclusive meaning of being a slave. And I think John MacArthur wrote a book, Slave, addressing or dealing with this issue in the English translation. Um, but it's important for us to note that the difference between a servant and a slave is one of choice. Uh, as a servant has, has the choice of whether he will serve and how much he will serve and when he will serve. But a slave does not have that choice. He is, belongs absolutely to his master. And of course, we as Christians, we have been bought at great cost. We've been bought at the price, 1 Corinthians uh, 6, uh, 20 tells us. And we are no longer slaves of sin, but now become slaves of righteousness when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And so first of all, we need to understand that, that a faithful disciple follows Christ and follows Him exclusively. The disciple of Christ is not allowed to follow another teacher, another master. Repeatedly, Jesus commanded those who, who he chose to say, follow me. Count the cost and follow me, Jesus said. Exclusively, follow my words, imitate my life. And a disciple of Christ never surpasses his master, his teacher. Disciples of Christ always remains a disciple, a learner, always remains under the authority of their master, continuing to teach others in his name, his will and his ways. And so a disciple are not allowed to add to the teacher's teaching, or to take away anything from it. Likewise, the slave is to serve his master exclusively. Sorry, this somehow still is active here and is annoying me. A, a slave, likewise, is to serve Christ exclusively. 
to be totally devoted to Christ. A, a faithful slave is required to serve the interests of their master alone, not to submit to another master, not to obey another master, not to promote the interests of another master. A Christian, for the Christian, Jesus Christ is Lord alone. No other authority, no other power, no other force, no other person, passion or purpose must ever supplant or replace Christ as Lord in the Christian disciples' life. Our full allegiance, our greatest loyalty, our highest priority is the Lord Jesus Christ. The slave, the Christian as a slave, cannot, must not serve two masters. For he will love the one and hate the other. A faithful disciple follows Christ not only exclusively but also humbly. A slave does not see himself equal or above his master. A slave of Christ submits himself to Christ wholeheartedly and unreservedly. That means that we know, believe and trust that his word is truth, that his character, that his person is trustworthy. And therefore we would seek to submit, we both seek his counsel and submit to his counsel and walk in his wisdom. Now for us today, what that means, Christ is not among us, but we do have his word given to us. We do have his spirit in us. And so for us to, to follow Christ faithfully, humbly, is to submit to his word to submit to the Scriptures. If we need direction or, or need to make a decision, we need to humbly submit ourselves to His Word and His way. What we should do and how we should do it. So we need to study the Word of God. We need to read the Word, we need to study it, we need to consult it. But more importantly, we need to obey it, we need to follow it, we need to act upon it. We are not to replace it with the counsel from others in the world. Another master's counsel. Another master's counsel on life, on, on relationships, on marriage, on parenting, on everything pertaining to life and godliness. We are to follow our master's will and ways. That is to follow him humbly. The disciple of Christ is one who follows him humbly. And nor are we to ignore his will or reinterpret it or pick and choose among his words what we want to follow. We are to follow him exclusively and humbly. Verse 25 says, The faithful also, the disciple also follows Christ contently. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and a slave like his master. The aim of a follower of Christ, the goal of following Christ, the goal of being a disciple of Christ is to become like him, to become like our teacher, to become like our master. They need to, we need to be content to attain to some level imitating our master, our, our teacher. And that should be sufficient for us. That should be enough for us. That should satisfy us. So we are not to seek a higher goal or a greater ambition by promoting ourselves instead of Christ. To make a name for ourselves instead of a name for Christ. To seek fame for ourselves instead of making him famous. A faithful disciple of Christ who follows him contently seeks to exalt Christ, magnify Christ, 
glorifying Christ, make Him to be known, let Him be remembered rather than, than us. This week I, I listened to a song, Only Jesus by Casting Crowns, and they, that song deals with this very issue. And one of the lines says, and I'm not going to sing it to you, but uh, it says, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. That's what matters. Is that enough for you? Is that enough for me? To make Christ known, to exalt Him, and for us to fade away into the background, fade away into obscurity, not to be even remembered. So we as, as, even as redeemed sinners, we struggle with pride and seeking prominence and position and prestige. And we would even abuse our master, our teacher, in ways that will exalt ourselves, elevate ourselves, take center stage, steal the limelight from Him. That is not following Him faithfully, contently. And even uh, that, isn't that the desire of the Father that we, that those who He foreknew, He predestined, predestined for what? For us to be conformed into the image of His Son. And so a faithful disciple is a disciple who follows Christ exclusively, who follows Christ humbly, and who follows Christ contently. And it says that when you do that, when you are becoming more like Him, then what they ascribe to Him, they will ascribe to you. If they reviled Him as Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, you and I will not escape the same treatment. Beelzebub was, was an ancient uh, Philistine god of a city, Ekron. And over time, it uh, was used to describe Satan as the ruler of demons. And so they called Jesus the ruler of heaven, Beelzebub. An, an incredible insult. And if they call Jesus that, what will they not call those who follow him, those of his household, those who seek to follow him and become like him? And so Jesus said, a faithful disciple is one who faithfully conforms to be like him. And when that is true of you, or the more that is true of you, then you will be misunderstood. You will be misrepresented. You will be mistreated as he was. But we should follow Him faithfully. A disciple of Christ is one who follows Him faithfully. And is one who follows Him fearlessly. Verse 26. Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What I hear, what you hear, whisper in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And in this first few verses, we, in these verses we find the Lord exhort his disciples not to be afraid. Verse 26, do not fear them, those who malign you, following on from verse 25. Verse 28, do not fear those who will kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Verse 31, do not fear, for God cares for you. And so, from this verse, we, we see that we should be unafraid, because the truth will triumph. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be 
made known. When you are faithful to our, your teacher and master, Jesus Christ, there will be those who malign you, there will be those who slander you, oppose you, undermine you, say all kinds of evil against you. But do not be afraid. One day, all will be revealed. One day, everything will come out. What will come out? Those who are enemies of Christ and the Gospel, they will be exposed. What they have done, what they have said, what they have, how they have undermined, how they have opposed, it will all be revealed, exposed. Also, who they have opposed, who they have slandered, who they have maligned and persecuted, all will be revealed. And their judgment will be revealed for all to see. But we are called to be faithful disciples of Christ who are fearless. Fearless and, and even those who are fearlessly and faithfully following Christ, proclaiming His truth, they will be revealed. They will be made known. Who are the disciples imitating the teachers? Who are the slaves serving their, their masters? All will be revealed and all will receive their just rewards. All will be judged according to what they have done, according to their deeds, whether that is good or evil. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says, For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Matthew 12, 36-37 But I tell you, every careless word that, a, that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew 13, 14 just as, So just as the tears are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. Of speaking here about tears of weeds within the church. The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stopping blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, but the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So those who are the stumbling blocks, those who are opposed, those who undermine the disciples of Christ in the ministry that is given them, they will be judged. And likewise, if you are faithful and fearless in the actions uh, in promoting the truth of Christ, you will shine forth like the sun. So don't be afraid. The truth will triumph. God knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. Don't be afraid. The truth will triumph. So keep proclaiming the truth. Verse 27. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. What I hear you whispering in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. The faithful disciple will fearlessly speak for Christ. He will proclaim the truth of the gospel. He will proclaim Jesus to be the only way, truth, and life. And those who are faithful are those who would speak. Speak what they first and foremost heard from Christ. What I tell you in darkness, what you hear whispered in your ear. I think this uh, it's best understood as those things that Jesus taught his disciples um, in, in the immediate context, but which was not fully understood only after his crucifixion, his resurrection, and, and, and the pouring out of the Spirit. Then, what they were heard in darkness and what was spoken to them, and then only often Jesus would take his disciples apart and, and just teach them. That is to be proclaimed. I mean, Jesus said in John 16, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will speak on the, not on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. And so a faithful disciple is a, is a fearless disciple who follows his master. He does not alter the message. He does not take anything away from the words of Christ. He preaches the whole counsel of God, as Paul said in Acts 20, verse 26. Nor does he take, uh, nor does he uh, add anything to the Word of God. His own views, his own interpretations, his own imaginations. It is not our message. It's Christ's message. It's our Lord's message. It's our Master's message. Nor should we withhold the truth from anyone because we are maybe afraid or intimidated we are to speak and we are to speak faithfully and we are to speak accurately and we are to speak steadfastly regardless of the reception regardless of the consequences to ourselves The faithful proclamation of the truth of Christ will stir up hatred against yourself. Some will respond with animosity. They will seek to cancel you. They will seek to slander you. They will threaten you. They will kill you, is what Jesus is saying. And throughout history, there has been those who have fearlessly proclaimed Christ and fearlessly stood on the truth and who were persecuted. They were willing to face ridicule, rejection, opposition, persecution. They were misunderstood, misrepresented, mistreated for the truth. But they kept speaking fearlessly for Christ. And so we Today, as Christ's disciples, if you are the disciple of Christ, then you are called to speak fearlessly, knowing that the truth will triumph. In the end, the truth will triumph. Everybody will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Nor should we be afraid, because verse 28, the soul is what matters most. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is unable to destroy both soul, sorry, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The faithful disciple will fearlessly follow Christ, for he knows, he knows that the worst of any man, any maligner, any magistrate can do to them is but to kill the body. They may take your physical life, but they cannot touch your soul. They cannot kill your soul. Your soul is what lives on after death. And of course, we know that man is made up of two parts, the material and immaterial, the body and the soul or spirit. And the Bible uses soul spirit as interchangeably, but it's not two separate things, it's one, one entity. And so a careful reading of, of scripture would, would, would show, would teach you that the Bible speaks of the soul when it, when it speaks about uh, that processes of, of the body processes and sensations like, like feelings and affections and likes and dislikes and the spirit as it relates to, to God's grace to us and our response to Him in worship and prayer. Really our soul is awakened to God when the spirit of God awakens our soul to Him. And so that's when, when, when the Bible speaks uh, of us as having a spirit. It's how we pray in the spirit. Uh, that our immaterial part that was awakened to God and the truth of Him. But we are exalted by the Lord to be His disciples and not to be afraid of those who kill the body. Because the body, because of sin, is destined to die. It will perish. Or, when the Lord returns, it will be transformed. 
glorified. But our soul, our soul is what will live on forever. Either in heaven with the long Lord or in hell, separated from the Lord. And here, when he talks about killing the soul or destroying the soul, it's not speaking of annihilation. Uh, actually, it says there uh, in hell. So it speaks of, of, of really the torment, the suffering of what the sinner would, would experience in, in hell. In Gehenna is the word, place of fire. And Hebrews reminds us that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So, but don't be afraid of man. Be afraid of God. Be afraid to displease your Lord and your Master. And throughout the ages, we have those who are willing to suffer horrendously for the truth. Just, just read Hebrews 11 and the Hall of, of Faith and all those who, who suffered hoping and trusting in the promises of God. We read of, 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 of the disciples who Christ sent, the apostles. All of them, except one, you know, has died at martyr's death. They died for the truth, for the gospel, for Christ. And as we go on through history, there are so many. I mean, we, we may mention some of those who were well known. If you read the, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, you'll read of men such as John Wycliffe, who translated the Bible in English back in the 1300s. And he also raised up a number of lay preachers preaching the message, the, the message of Christ in English. And, and they were persecuted. Um, the Lollards, they were called, those lay preachers. And when they, they would copy pieces of scripture in English and they would carry these scraps of scripture with them and they would preach from them and when they are found with these pieces of scripture they would be burned at the stake with these pieces of scripture tied around their necks but they would preach and Wycliffe himself died uh, a natural death but they were so upset with his teachings that they exhumed his body burned his bones and cast it into the river as, a, as, as to show that the opposition of the church in those days against the teaching of John Wycliffe. Jerome of Prague was one who followed Wycliffe's teachings. He was burnt at the stake. Then, as late in that same, uh, maybe later in that same century, John Huss was a Bohemian pastor and a forerunner of Martin Luther. He was burnt at the stake for preaching Christ and denying the Pope as being Lord over the church. William Tyndale, again, Welsh pastor, burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. And he died crying, Lord, open the eyes of the king. Let him see the truth. And there are others, John Hooper, Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Whitley, and you can go on and on, just, just go, go read Fox's books of Martin. But there's also others less known to us. And even more recent to us, I, I heard of a, a Russian a Russian thief called Nikolai Kamara, who served 10 years for robbery in a gulag. And he got saved through the testimony of Christians who were in the gulag for their faith. But there was something different about them. The joy that they exude in, a, in, in horrible conditions was puzzling to him. Their faces shone when they were speaking to someone that he could not see. And when he asked them about it, they gave him the gospel. And the Lord graciously saved Nikolai. And so after his sentence, he was released and he, and he went and he served in a little church. And not long after that, the KGB arrested his pastor, or their pastor. And of course they wanted the names of all the congregants because at that time Christianity and all other religions were outlawed. This was in the 60s, 70s, of the 1960s and 70s. And of course he refused and so they tortured him. But they saw that he's not going to reveal any names and so they also arrested Nikolai. 
And so they started torturing Nikolai and say, for the pastor, reveal the names of your congregants. And of course, the pastor, this was too much to bear for him. He said, Nikolai, what shall I do? And Nikolai said, be faithful to Jesus. Do not betray him. I am willing to suffer for Christ. And so they tortured him. And then they said, well, we're going to gouge out your eyes. And the pastor said, Nikolai, this cannot be. And Nikolai said, let them take my eyes. Because once they've taken my eyes, I will see things more beautiful than ever before. And so they gouge out his eyes. And the torture continued. And then they said, Nikolai, we're going to cut out your tongue. And of course the pastor said, Nikolai, let me tell them, let me tell them the names of the congregants. And Nikolai said, praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, there you have it. I have said the highest words that can be said on this earth. Now take my tongue, but do not deny Christ Jesus. Each day there are Christians that are faithful to Christ and fearless in the face of opposition and persecution proclaiming the truth of the gospel, proclaiming Christ. Do not be afraid that they may kill the body. That they may incarcerate you. That they may find you. That they may confiscate your possessions. Do not cease preaching Christ. We are not to stop out of fear of death. We ought to be fearless in the ministry of the gospel. Fearless in the proclamation of Christ. Fearless in the preaching of the truth. Don't be afraid. The truth will triumph. And don't be afraid. Yours, the soul matters more than the body. Jesus went on in verse 29. And I've summarized this. It says, Do not be afraid, for God cares for you. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but the very hairs of your head are numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. The faithful disciple is the one who follows Christ faithfully and follows Christ fearlessly, because he knows God is sovereign, and he knows that he cares for you. Just as the slave is dependent on his master for everything, trusting him for everything, so the faithful disciple of Christ can trust God in the performance of his ministry, in the task that he has given us. And Jesus points to, to a local delicacy, sparrows. These little birds were trapped and skinned and roasted and then, and then consumed. They were a tasty snack in those days. Very cheap. Two for a cent, really. Uh, two sparrows for aserion, which is aserion is about one sixteenth of a denarii. And so basically a cent. And Luke tells us that there was some special sometimes. It's five for two cents uh, that you could buy these little birds for snacks. Um, and Jesus said, even though these little sparrows are so cheap, in comparison with other more significant, more costly items, not a single sparrow will fall to the ground without or apart from the Father, without his or outside his will or his involvement. He is sovereign over the lives of little sparrows. And the disciples knew very well that God is the one who created all things and God is the one who sustains all things. But he's not, this creator is also the sustainer. 
His sovereign providence rules over all. And as disciples of Christ, faithful disciples, fearless disciples, we need to be reminded of that God is sovereign and that He cares for us. He is sovereign in giving life and He is sovereign in ending life and He is sovereign over everything in between. And the faithful, fearless disciple knows this, believes this, and lives according to this. Nothing falls outside of God's sovereign providence. He says, if this is true of the little sparrows, how much more will he not care for those who he created in his image? For those whom he redeemed at the cost of his son? For those who he sends on his mission to advance his kingdom? Christian, we are to follow the Lord faithfully and proclaim Christ fearlessly. For our Master cares for us. Nothing will befall a tiny sparrow without the involvement or outside of the will of God. How much more? the Father not care for us. <coughs> Whatever happens to us, we can know that the Father is absolutely aware of it. We can know that He is perfectly in control over it. We can know that He has sovereignly allowed it in His will to establish His ways. And His will and His ways are not our will and our will. His will, his ways are higher than our will and ours. Please note here that the Creator, the one who who looks after the sparrows, is called your Father. If you are a disciple of Christ, then the sovereign God of creation is your Father. He is the one who is sovereign over creation and he sustains all things and he cares not only for our body and soul, he cares how much hair we have on our heads. Even my increasing baldness is not outside the sovereignty of God. But there will not fall another hair from my head without his sovereign providence. Every aspect of our lives falls under His sovereign providence. So whether you are sick or healthy, get COVID or not, live or die, are rich or poor, persecuted or not, killed or not, God is sovereign over them. Do we, do we believe that? I think many profess a faith in God's sovereignty, but do not live as if He's sovereign. We trust Him for our life after death, but not so much for our life during life. There was another young man, Pastor Damien, a Belgian young man who went to Hawaii to minister among lepers. There was a, a colony on the island Molokai and the lepers were treated horrendously during those. This is in the 1800s. Um, and he wanted to share the love of Christ, the truth of Christ with these lepers on this leper colony on the island of Malacca. And he spent eight years, first of all, trying to get there. 
He was on the main island, but the red tape and restrictions kept him from going. But eight years he ministered in the main island of Hawaii before he could finally get to Molokai. And then there he spent 16 years ministering to the lepers. At first he saw that the lepers were treating themselves as less than human. There would be bodies that passed away lying in the streets, so he instituted proper burial services. And he realized that for them to have any hope or anything, they need to, dignity in life, they need to have dignity in death. And so he ministered them, and he, at first he was aloof of them and afraid of them, but then he realized if I will touch their souls for Christ, then I need to touch their bodies. And so he started hugging these lepers. He started kissing them. He called them his children. For 16 years without getting sick. And then one day he contracted leprosy. And five years later he died. He understood the sovereignty of God in life and the willingness to go faithfully and fearlessly for the truth to those who are lost. And so our exhortation this morning is that we will be faithful disciples of Christ and we will be fearless in the proclamation of the truth in a culture that will be increasingly more hostile towards the truth of God. Let me pray for this. Father, we thank you both for reminding us that you are God, that you are our master, that you are our teacher, and that we are to imitate you. Imitate not only your teaching, Although your teachings are massively important, instructing us in life and godliness. But Lord, also learn from your life and the life of disciples that has gone before us, who are faithful, who are fearless. Lord, make us a faithful people. Make us a fearless people. So that Christ be made known. Lord, help us that it will be okay if no one ever remembers us. But Lord, let them remember Christ because of us. I pray this in Jesus' name.